Welcome to another great episode of Talk to Tatiana. And today I'm excited to have Logan Ray with me. Logan, Thank welcome you. to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. And today, and the reason um, you're on the show is I wanted you to talk about the thing that people don't really talk about much, and that's failure, failure in business. I think that we as um, accountants see a lot of them, but other people get this perception that being a business owner, being an entrepreneur is actually a perfect journey. There is no um, challenges. There is maybe no failures, or maybe people know that there are failures, but it's not going to happen to them. So I wanted to create a series of interviews where people talk about how they failed in business and what they've learned from that and kind of how they move forward. So um, tell us a little bit about, about how you failed in business. All right. before. So um, I, I don't think I ever took the steps to be like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and created a business plan and then executed it. Um, all the businesses that I've been a part of have kind of been spontaneous, like the big bang theory. And I think part of that also um, can be considered what contributed to our, our initial failure. Um, I started a company, it was called Bacon Boxes, in 2015 with one of my girlfriends, and we hit success pretty fast. Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, I think the biggest thing that made it unsustainable was not um, taking, like, mentors' advice. We... Um, we got into all these programs. We got into like FAU Tech Runway. We were um, score American business champions, which they, I think they pick one from every state and they fly us all out to Texas and celebrate and give us like trainings and advice and teachings and stuff that can make our business better. And I think through a lot of that, um, we didn't follow, you know, we didn't follow the advice. We didn't take the money when we should have. Um, one of the things too is uh, outsourcing a lot of known business owners um, are really big fans of, you know, trying to fix your process. Like, don't don't work harder, work smarter. And we were so resistant to that because we thought we had something that was special. Nobody else could figure out. I mean, even to bring our product to market, they were bacon roses. They were handcrafted. It was kind of like the edible arrangements, but of bacon. Um, but to get the licensure it took to ship state to state and the um, USDA approval, it required like 40 pages of HACCP planning and at the time, I was a student at FAU studying neuroscience, so my background in chemistry came in handy in biology. Um, so we were really, really like, overprotective. And I think that ultimately, we held ourselves back from a lot of really big opportunities because we were resistant to opening up and allowing someone else to help us in the areas that we could have really used help in now looking back. Um. That's really cool. I love bacon. I happen to love bacon. Um, it was a love that actually I developed over the years. I actually didn't like American style bacon. You know, I grew up in a different country and we had bacon, but it was very different than what it is here. But I actually learned to love bacon in the past probably four years, which is which is really insane. But now I love bacon. So I would have loved to see what you've done with the with those um uh, with that business um when you did when you did start it. So uh, it's actually a really cool idea. Um, and could you talk a little bit more about um, kind of the obstacles of what you've encountered um, and how did you realize, first of all, and that's a question that people may be asking or not even thinking about, 
when you started that business, how did you find out that you need to get FDA approval for this stuff? So, yeah, that's the crazy part. It wasn't FDA, it was USDA. So there are different bodies. The, the FDA kept telling us that they, you know, they wanted nothing to do with us because that's where we went first. And then we finally figured it out um, as time went on. But the idea kind of stemmed from, um, I, at the time, I, I was engaged to get married and I my fiance had had everything like this was a man you could not get a gift for because he would buy anything that he wanted when he wanted and trying to pre-plan something. And he was very simple too. So it wasn't like, you know, anything extravagant. Um, but it, so I made him a bacon bouquet thinking it was funny. He owned a call center at the time. I dropped it off at the call center and all the women there remembered and went kind of like crazy over it. Um, and then I started getting Facebook messages towards Valentine's Day, because his birthday's in January. So towards Valentine's Day. And I was reading the messages and they asked questions that kind of immediately I was like, oh, this could be a business. They're asking me where I got it and how much I paid for it, not how did I do it and if I would make them one. It was, you know, they thought it was a store-bought product or something that was outside of me. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe I have something here. Um, and I kind of just told them, I was like, oh, I'll make you one for, you know, this price and it was super low. If you get like one of your girlfriends or your sisters or somebody else to also order one just to make it worth my time. And in two days, I think I grossed almost five grand. Um, and Valentine's Day is also right at the time of midterms. So yeah, it was not, not a good time. We were struggling a little bit there. Um, but that's when I brought Kim on. And then it was just me and Kim and we tried to make all the decisions ourselves, but I had no prior business experience. I had never seen a business plan before. We invested some tax returns that we both had basically saved from the years prior. Um, and it wasn't something that was like well thought out or well developed. So when we did have the opportunity of attraction, it was like silly of us to like turn it away the way that we did. Wow. And talk a little bit about the partnering um kind of the thought process there because you know um in my book i write about i write about there was a chapter on sort of um it was it was supposed to be called partnerships never work but that was more of a partnering with somebody else around the business not kind of partnering with an investor there's also a chapter on investors so i'm curious to, to get your take on um you said you turned down opportunities you know of partnering up with an investor and stuff like that which is you know, which is fine, uh, but I would love for you to to kind of explain what the thought process was and what you were afraid of and how, what was the reverse thought process when you um, uh, kind of found that it could have been done better or differently? Yeah. So right when we started was kind of when Instagram was really taking off and Facebook was really taking off. So the second that we you know, had the product concept idea. I was making them. She had come by the house because she would drop by. Um, she was working as a bartender. So she would come before her shift and hang out with me. I was a young mom. I had a two-year-old at the time that we like started the idea. Um, and she was just like, oh, wow, these are cool. Like, you know, how can I help type of thing? Um, she wanted to get out of bartending. She was like, this was, you know, this would be a way eventually. And, you know, she just, we were both looking for something that was like fulfilling and fun. Um, me, it was just being a little bit over ambitious. I was actually studying and hoping to go to med school at the time. So it was kind of like not counter, it was like counterproductive to what I was trying to accomplish, but it, I stayed in school. I finished my degree. Um, it just was like hard in that process too. 
But we also use a lot of the school resources. I tapped into a lot of the marketing courses and the entrepreneur groups. And they have this program called FAU Tech Runway, so Florida Atlantic University. And then it's called Tech Runway. It's a separate organization, but it's run on the same campus. It connects you with um, a team of mentors that have proven, you know, businesses basically in similar, somewhat similar industries where they're able to help you. Uh, one of my mentors was somebody who um, helped the the creation of Celsius, which is now, you know, a national brand. Um, and she, she was incredible. Um, but a lot of the times too, you know, we were trying to listen to five other people's advice on top of our own. And one person saying like, protect your castle, don't let anyone inside. And the other one saying, take the money, you'll grow, have a small piece of something that's going to be, you know, a lot bigger than you. And we kind of just ran until we were somewhat burnt out. And then I ended up I, in the process. I got married. The marriage didn't work out during the divorce. Um, it just kind of, you know, a lot of things fell at that point in time. Um, but the partnership was great. Like uh, her name was Kim. Um, we're still friends. Like it, you know, it did put us through challenges. There were a lot of nights where we had orders and both of us are just like, you know, bawling our eyes out on the kitchen floor, exhausted because we're trying to do this in between doing other things that support our lifestyles, like being a mom, going to school, um, her working another job to make sure that it stays sustainable until she's able to take a salary. Just all these different things that were going on and us like not wanting to turn away business, but having like a product that one is sensitive to temperature and, you know, conditions. So it has to be made at a certain point in time. And if you miss that deadline, you're out of luck. You're not going to get it. Um, We had almost no storage supply. The first kitchen that we started in, you couldn't open the uh, oven and the fridge at the same time. It was shared. So like we had a very small space. It took us 10 days to make the bacon. We also like, we're going to make it ourselves. We're going to cure it, smoke it, slice it. We're um, only sourcing from family owned farms. You know, it's a quality pig that's not being abused because pig farming is one of the most horrendous things. If you've ever explored in that area um the standard is very very low for how they treat those animals so we were like you know we didn't want to add to the problem we wanted but we didn't you know we couldn't really solve it either but the best thing that you could do is source from places that have additional um you know additional certifications and somebody you know like a big brother watching to make sure that they're following regulations in in a different fashion than just mass production so it was like a higher quality product it did taste different. It did add to our value is the reason why, you know, the business was successful, but, and then we got so stuck on that rather than trying to figure out, okay, who can replicate what we're doing at a, at a higher rate and get the product out so that we can take our hands out of the hard part that's burning us out. Um, and we weren't quite ready to make that jump when it was time to make the jump. And then we wanted to fund it ourselves and the funding wasn't there because we had a limiting reagent, like, you know, going and building a kitchen costs hundreds of thousands of dollars that we didn't have at the time. And renting a kitchen was a lot more cost effective, but trying to find a commissary that's available during the times that you need it, that, you know, is going to have storage space and allow you to smoke bacon outside and have a grease trap that the USDA agrees with and all that good stuff, impossible to find. Like, we're lucky we found the one that we did. Um, It was actually located inside of a um, Alcoholics Anonymous clubhouse at one point. So they had this huge built out kitchen that they weren't really using for anything other than Meals on Wheels. So it was us and Meals on Wheels using their space. Um, and it was originally like a property that was donated to, you know, give back to the community. So it was cool. We were able to like support that in, in a sense. But um, yeah, no, it was like a crazy, crazy come up. And really like when we got investor opportunities and partners that wanted to come on and also build sweat equity, we probably should have taken it. And then looking back now, we'd still have like a lower piece, but it would probably be functioning and okay. 
Thanks so much for sharing that. That was a fun story. I mean, not not fun to you know to have a failing business, but it's definitely a lot of lessons learned. And and people who are listening would uh, would really consider have to consider all of these things before starting anything. Um, my question for you is this: um, If someone is listening and they're thinking of starting a business, they have a really good business idea. What would you suggest, or what would you advise in terms of a couple of things, and I would love for you to address them separately. Number one is partners, partnering up with somebody else. Number two is investors. Do you need investors? Should you take investors? With what kind of um, questions or maybe things that you would need to run by your own brain um, before you do it? Like what, what are the factors that would surround you saying a yes or saying a no to an investor? Same thing with partners, kind of lessons learned. What would you have done differently? And three was mentors. Because you've mentioned, the reason I'm asking this is you've mentioned that there were a lot of people who were your advisors. And so you kind of um, almost it felt like you were torn. And so I'm curious to know kind of if you could go back and do it over, what would you do differently and what's the advice um, that you can give someone who's maybe starting something, maybe not similar, but something else that they're going through the same pain points as you have gone through already? So what I'm thinking, or at least what's helped me in my business following that is kind of taking it a little bit slower instead of rushing into partnerships. If you treat it like a relationship and you like kind of, it's like dating, like you want to get to know the person before you get married, being in a partnership, you're married. Like even, you know, in any sense of the world, you're stuck with that person and they're, they're, there's contractual obligations, but going through the messiness that comes down to that, you know, you want to make sure it's with somebody who has like-mindedness. Same thing when you're picking mentors, you want to surround yourself with people that aren't going to give you necessarily conflicting views, but not ones that agree with you either. Like you want ones that are going to do what's best for the organization and for the initial vision. You don't want, you know, I, I get distracted a lot. So having my core team being able to like ground me and be like, okay, but like, what is the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? There's a lot of like things that get in the way or new occurrences that happen or things that come up, opportunities, but what are you trying to accomplish at the end of the day? Um, and does what you're, you know, what you want to take your time into or your money into align with that goal? Um, and that helps you make a lot better decisions. It's hard to find mentors though that like, you know, want to do it out of the kindness of their heart. Usually there's something in there that's benefiting them as well. So figuring out what, whether or not that mentorship's good, it just depends. Like I have ones that I, I pay for business coaches that I pay for um, to give me specific insights. And then I have other ones that are provided by the university that, you know, I try to rely on, but then you, you have a different relationship with that one versus one that you're, you're paying for. Um, and then the last part about investors too. So investors can be great, but again, it's about managing expectations in the relationship and whether or not your company actually needs the money. Um, I've really struggled. I think that's the one thing in business is with um, financial, not financial management, but like planning. Like so many hypotheticals um, come up and you're not sure, is it better to invest in building a bigger team right now? Is it better to invest in specialized equipment? Is it better to invest in software that's going to solve your problem? Um, versus just an overall grab, thinking that you know what you need and then spending in areas that you don't actually need. So I think mapping that out, kind of like, again, like vetting really closely what it is that you need um, and then going for it in that direction, then you can bring on an investor that might have experience in something that you don't have experience in and then be like a good 
you know, a good person. Usually somebody that's putting their money into something, they want to see a return. That's, that's the point of it. Um, the only time that you don't want to, you know, it would be a bad investment when it's, it's like the what ifs are too big. So you still want to have some risk management. You want to make sure that they're, you know, invested more than just financially, in my opinion. Like I, a financial investment's great, but a silent investor is also not the greatest either because then you're using their money to make decisions and you might need support in that area. So I don't know. I mean, in my, my views, I prefer to have somebody who's active and willing to give opinions, um, but not dictation either. Like it's more of like experience, like here's my experience with it. Um, here's what I'm trusting you to do. And then you guys make the best decision together. That's great. Um, thanks so much for sharing that. I, I mean, you're preaching to the choir when you talked about the financial management. That's, you know, my first profession. I, I don't know if you've looked me up or not, but uh, my first profession is an accountant. And so I preach uh, financial literacy, financial um, attention to um, to businesses' financials and forecasting and projecting as much as possible so that you can avoid the pitfalls But and running out of cash, which is what one of the top reasons for businesses um, failing. But uh, thank you for sharing that. It was really, it was really great. And um, could you talk a little bit about um, the financial side? How did you find that uh, meaning as you started and you were forced to deal with the financial stuff, with the numbers, with the books, with the um, taxes and all of those things? What was that like? How, how did you feel? How did you... Um, did you struggle with it? Was it easy for you? What what kind of surprises you've learned if you have? Um, I'm the person for that or question. Whatever. Um, it's so funny. I'm like, it's like the worst with the best. So when it's other people's numbers or things, is like right now I own a marketing agency, so a lot of our stuff is projection and then being able to like know how something's going to perform because they're looking for you know the right numbers for their CPL but also for their CPA. So lots of projections, lots of what ifs, and that I'm comfortable in. But then when I'm planning a business that's not, especially one that's not been done before, that you don't have a foundation in, like that, that was the scary part. Like I was really intimidated by coming up with projections for a company that there was nothing to, um, like there was nothing else that was working in its model. Like I kept trying to compare to like edible arrangements, for example, but they have so many localized franchises that that's not the model that Bacon Boxes was. So it's hard to pull any numbers or any historical data. Whereas me, like I, I like analytics. I like to be able to like look at the past data and then, you know, compare the weather for the future. It's hard to do that when you're, you have so many what ifs or you have, um, you know, again, just things that are unpredictable. Um, now, I hate to admit this too, but I do a lot of like, don't look. And that's not the right thing. And then I try to employ somebody to look for me and then like guide me in the right ways. Um, but, you know, staying modest, making sure too that your business is cash flow positive. So money comes in and then work is delivered. And then making sure that those expectations are realistic because that's also can get you in a bind too if you're making promises and then not able to keep them and it ends up costing you more money in, in the long run. Um, I haven't personally like had that experience, but I've seen a lot of businesses go through stuff like that and it ended up costing their business tremendously. Um, and sometimes too, it's outside of their control. Like I, we work with like window and door companies with this COVID thing. It's like the windows are still on back order because they come from overseas and trying to get them produced. You have somebody that you signed a contract with, but their payments don't start until, you know, X number of time out from them receiving the windows installed, but, and you're expecting it to happen. And you can't because you don't physically have them. You're on this like little timer. 
your projections get messed up, then all you have is a PO, but a PO that they can pull out on at any time and how, like there's no stability. So for me, it's like scary. I, that's just an example. Um, I like to keep my investments in my businesses cash flow positive where money comes in and I know that I'm able to deliver more, more um, you know, before, but it also doesn't keep you with an inventory or with any type of overhead. So I think that's kind of why I drifted into what I drifted into um, versus having another product company. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I keep telling my husband that he's an engineer, so he has a very engineering mind. Um, he always wants to come up with some new thing. And I'm like, it's really hard to make money on a, in a product business. Really hard. Like I've seen very few businesses in my career of 17 years, almost 18, that product businesses are making huge amounts of money service, SaaS, whatever, um, is probably a better way. I mean, we do need products, so there are ways to do it, but I think it's a, it's a hard, much harder business to be honest with you. It definitely is. It definitely is not, you know, especially too, so it's on a time frame. Go into another business too, where there's like a shelf life to the product that you're, you know, producing. Um, and then there's so many variables. It's like, yeah, every day is somebody's birthday. So you have the opportunity for a sale, but it's far and few in between too for consistency. It's not like a recurring product. You end up with, you know, potential waste. We didn't have that problem because we were always sold out. Sometimes months in advance we were sold out. And we did this thing too, where we were selling originally 12 roses was like $69. Then we raised it to 120 and didn't defer people. Then we raised it because every time we were sold out, we get like hate mail. Like people would be angry that we were sold out. So we're just like, we're going to just make the prices so astronomical to stop buying them. Then all of a sudden we made the prices like, you know, 360 and people are still buying 12 roses for 300. <laughs> wow. That's it was, really no, it was cool. like, it's insane. It was literally insane. So again, it's a unique problem to have though. So when you're going into a business, you can't expect that. That's not something that like, you know, we foresaw happening or even being a possibility. If not, we might've made different decisions too on taking the investment. If we would have known that it was like that solid, all we saw was we're going to take somebody's money for it's putting us further away from being able to pay our bills potentially. And then now we have somebody else to get a third mouth to feed. So wow, <laughs> that's really cool. I would totally buy uh, buy the bacon basket for sure. Um, okay, Logan. So uh, thanks so much for for being a guest. But before we disconnect, before we wrap this up, talk a little bit about what you do now in your business and how do you help people? How do you transform their businesses or lives or both? So I own a marketing agency. It's called Argon Agency. We started in the middle of COVID. Um, it just, again, was one of those things that happened accidentally and has been running ever since. Um, we are full service. We start off with like CMO support. So like our biggest um, service is kind of like learning your business and then finding ways that we can help and assist in the, the flow of production, um, whether it be from your customer service team all the way to your digital you know, presence. Uh, we do some fulfillment, website, social media, search engine optimization, uh, we do some connecting with other vendors. So if you need, you know, uh, merchandising or prototypes or, um, you know, T-shirts, pens, promo items, that kind of thing. Like we're, you know, again, full service on that that front, even though we don't produce them ourselves, we're able to still connect. Um, I think our strongest suit is helping with strategy and then fulfillment after at that point. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much what we're doing now. Um, a lot of our clients stick with us because we tend to be transparent and upfront and really... We tell them the things that they don't necessarily want to hear, but that they need to hear sometimes to make their decisions. 
That's awesome. And so how do you um, help people? What do you help them transform from where they've started to where they are now after working with you? What does that transformation look like for those businesses? wants to retire at some point soon. She's, you know, older and has been in her career for several years. Now she has four midwives working under her and she's able to take, you know, just the births that she wants to attend and, and work a little bit more concierge with clients and then the rest of her business is still functional. The rest of her brand that she's worked so hard to build is still functional. Um, but at first it was just her plus one. Now it's her plus I think seven total because there's also a lactation consultant, there's the doulas, there's the, you know, support staff, the MAs, et cetera. So that was a really, really good growth point. Um, and they exclusively do like home births and water births. Then we have other clients at the Windows and Door Company where, um, you know, they, we started out at one point with them. We have several window and door companies that we work with. But there's been a common theme in there where um, they usually have like an ads manager that doesn't really understand the market or how to get it out there. And then all of a sudden somebody who's looking for like kitchen cabinet doorknobs uh, is running through their search budget because they're getting all the, the ads for home improvement for windows and doors that they don't want. So there's a big difference in finding a doorknob versus finding a, uh, a window. So, you know, helping them clean that out, helping them lower their cost per acquisition. Um, sometimes it's coaching their sales team too. It seems to call them like, hey, you should have this instead of that. Or, hey, you should this instead of that. And, you know, trying to help them close the deals um, or clean up a mess too. Like sometimes the expectations not managed properly, so cleaning that up in a way that like makes the the client feel comfortable and stay on board and keeps the integrity of the business. It's all about kind of you know putting our heads together and not panicking and then making the right decisions that you know help everyone, not just them. So, wow, that's really cool, awesome, and so. Um, could you please also mention, and of, of course, all of the links and stuff will be, um, and including the links on the bacon bouquets, um, will be listed on in the show notes, but could you mention where people can find and connect with you to learn more about what you do or maybe to engage you? In sure. the, in so our, um, our website is argon agency, A-R-G-O-N agency.com, argon like the gas and periodic tape. And then uh, same thing with our social media on Facebook, Instagram, you know, we're on all the platforms. Uh, my personal one is probably the best to look as far as like portfolio samples. And um, you can find me on Instagram as that marketing bitch. It is what it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then if you want to reach out by phone, it's 561-867-0027. And if you call in, you most likely won't get me first, but we have really awesome staff and everyone here is willing and able to help. Terrific. Logan, thanks so much for being a great guest. I've learned uh, quite a few things. I didn't know that there there's such thing as a bacon bouquet, but now <laughs> I do. And hopefully maybe one day it will happen again. Um, and someone will come up with that and maybe, maybe we can order that again. Um, and I agree. I think that the people, that the uh, prices, the fact that the price, people were willing to pay much higher price uh, means something. It also shows you how, most business owners undercharge for their uh, product or service. Um, and so um, I think it's really important to remember. So thanks again for being a great guest. And for those of you listening, we're going to have a few of these interviews um, coming out on this podcast. So stay, stay tuned. And Logan, thanks so much, thanks so much again for being a guest.